Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We have been talking about the first nine commandments, or the first eight commandments. Today we are to number nine. Deuteronomy chapter five is where we will be in a few moments. However, I don't want to start there. John 18, Jesus is brought before Pilate. He is being accused of being a rival to Caesar. Pilate goes in and begins to question Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say this to you about me? Pilate answered, am I Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. That's not, you're the one who said it, not me. That's, you tell me. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Remember when he said, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Philosophers have been trying to figure that out for millennia. You can hear Philo and Aristotle debating about truth. Even today, if you pick up a modern philosophy textbook, it will one of the one of the early chapters will talk about what is truth. And it will talk about all kinds of theories and all kinds of ideas of what truth is. People have been asking this question almost since the Garden of Eden. In fact, it was a serpent who first brought up this question. Did God really say? We have been asking what is truth since we've been sinful. And we live in a culture today that wants to deny that there is any sort of objectivity to truth. It's whatever I want it to be. If I say it, then it's automatically true and you have to do whatever it takes not only to not denigrate my truth, but to affirm my truth. We just spent a, a whole month in June being inundated with a message of a group of people who are less than 2% of the population of this country demanding that every corporation bow the knee to their ideology because what they say is their truth. We, we listen to talking heads on television that tell us one thing one day and the exact opposite another day. And they say that it's science. You need to listen to the science. The science says don't wear a mask because it's not going to help you. But then the science says, well, we were lying about masks so that we can make sure enough healthcare professionals had it. Then the science completely ignores actual scientists in Denmark who find that masks don't do anything for a respiratory virus, but we could have known that 100 years ago from the flu pandemic. But you still have to wear a mask at a hospital because science. Don't think, though, that this is just one side of the aisle. 
because there's a certain South Carolina senator who will go on Sean Hannity this week and get to the bottom of something. Well, he'll claim he will. But he's been trying to get to the bottom of it for years. And he ain't hit it yet. One calls his show the no-spin zone. And I'm telling you what, if I threw my clothes into his show, I wouldn't have to have a dryer because that spin cycle is so good. It get all the water out. Y'all, we are desperate for truth. And it's not just in politics. It's in all of life. We are desperate for truth. That's why when God is giving us the ethical framework of our life, one of the things he makes sure to put in there is the ninth commandment. Stand with me. And let's read it together. Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's not as short as the, first, as the last couple of commandments have been, but it's still pretty short. Even still, it's the word of God. The true word of God. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Pray with me. Father, may we be the kind of people who display truth, who do not bear false witness. Father, help us to be truth. Help us to walk in truth. In Christ's name, amen. I am, I, I have to admit I've been wrestling. How do I organize this sermon? That's why on the back of your bulletin are those two main points. What does this sermon reveal about God? And what does this sermon, or what does this uh, commandment reveal about God? And what does this commandment require of us? Because I knew that that's kind of the pattern I've been following and I need, I need to talk about it in those terms of what does this show us about God, but then what is actually expected of us? But I had no clue how to organize it beyond that. Because to be honest with you, I've been wrestling. There's so many different things that I've been wrestling with because our culture is so, so anemic to the truth. If we took a truth test, it'd be negative. So what do we do? I think first, though, we need to address God. We try to look at this from a philosophical angle. We try to look at this from an ontological uh, perspective. We try to look at it from, from the sense of, of existential questions like what is truth? And it's hard to get a hold of. But what I find in the scriptures is that we do not have a God who is truthful. We have a God who is truth. Now that's a very different thing from saying God is truthful. It's a very different thing from saying God is honest. To say that God is actually truth. It's like we don't say God is loving because we say He is love. But yet we see in the Scriptures there's several passages specifically that point us to the fact that God is truth. 1 John chapter 1. John 1 verse 14 the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But there's more than just grace and truth being in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, how can Jesus be 
the truth. Truth is not just a characteristic of God. It is an attribute of God. He is truth. Which means that if we're looking for truth, we're looking for God. And I think where we need to start in a society that doesn't know truth, if it hit them in the face, is to introduce them to truth. Show them God himself. Show them his character. Show them his works. Show them his word. And let that open the door to truth. In fact, uh, uh, not only is God truth, but what God... Y'all, here's how truth God is. Okay? When Jesus comes riding on the white horse in Revelation 19, he's got two names inscribed on him. Faithful and true. Jesus often speaks. He says, verily, verily, I say to you. He's saying, this is so true, it doesn't even need a witness. That's a whole nother kind of truth. Uh, I, there's a movie um, that Daryl showed in Sunday school today, um, a movie clip. And the guy says that the witness is such a perpetual liar that he's surprised that the Bible didn't jump out of her hand when she swore to tell the truth. God is truth. And not only is God truth, but his words are truth. Sanctify them in your truth, Jesus prays, for your word is truth. Proverbs chapter uh, 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. Put it to the test. Go ahead. Don't just take, don't just take God's word for it. Test it. Try it. You'll find that it holds up every time. In fact, how do you know a true prophet from a false prophet? How do you know that someone is actually speaking for God? Well, God actually tells us how to know. Deuteronomy 18, he's instructing his people and he says, if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word, that the Lord has not spoken? How do we know when we are being told something that isn't actually true, that God has not really said it? How do we know that? He says, well, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. We know that God's word is so, that he is so much truth that he will not utter a lie. God is not a man that he should lie. Because he is truth, he does not speak lies. He doesn't have to. And we say, well, you know, I'd rather not talk lies, but, you know, I'm throwing this surprise birthday party and, and I kind of have to deceive them a little bit or it won't be a surprise. Really? You ever see a toddler? Mama tells them no. And they get closer and closer and they look back at Mama. I'm not pegging her for the toddler in that house. Um... That's what we do, isn't it? How close can I get to the line? Well, can I, just, can I tell a lie if it might hurt somebody to tell the truth? What about when my wife says, does this dress make me look fat? We look for reasons to avoid telling the truth. But that's not the nature of God. God is truth. So why not look for reasons to tell the truth instead of to lie? 
I have to change the definition of a word every now and then. No, we don't, do we? You see, we think sometimes it's convenient to lie. But that's because we're looking at right here, right now. We're looking at the next five minutes. We're looking for what will avoid the trouble now. How many times, those of you who have raised kids, how many times have your kids done something wrong and then lied about it thinking they were going to get out of punishment and it only made it worse? How many times do we do that? Even as adults, God so values truth because it's his own nature. If it matters so much to God that he puts it into his basic ethical framework for his people, why are we trying to get as close to the line without crossing it? Now, there might be times, there might be times when there are difficult ethical decisions there's Jews hiding under the floorboards and the Nazis are knocking on the door asking if you've seen any. Somebody said they saw some running toward your house. That's a difficult situation. You know what's happening if you give them up. But you also know that God is a God of truth. That, that, that's tougher. But come on, most of the time we lie because it's just convenient. Most of the time it's not the Nazis at the door. Most of the time, it's just, we just don't want to deal with a hassle. We don't want someone to hate us. We don't want to mess up a friendship. But this commandment says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. When God says that, he's not saying, you can kind of bend it a little bit. Just make sure it's not too bad. Make sure it's not going to have too bad of repercussions. It's not what he's saying, is it? He says, don't do it. Specifically, this is legal terminology. This is a witness taking the stand under oath saying that somebody committed a crime and they saw it. God took it so seriously, in fact, that if you were found to give false testimony in a court of law, you got the punishment that they would have gotten, even death, if it was a case of murder. That's how seriously God takes this. But the command is don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And I think now's a good time to reiterate a point. I've kind of made it, uh, but I don't know that I've made it absolutely clear. Do you notice this is not the command sense of the verb? It's not, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's you will not bear false witness against your neighbor. It sounds like a command with the word shall, but the form of the word is actually an indicative. It is a statement of fact. You are not the kind of person who bears false witness against your neighbor. God is not calling us just to be honest. He's calling us, he's not just calling us to tell the truth. He's calling us to be honest, to have the personality that speaks truth. You will not bear false witness because you're going to tell the truth. We know that person, that person that you can't trust them as far as you can throw them. That person that should be a used car salesman because they've been the truth as much as they do, or a lawyer. <laughs> you know that person. You know that person that you just, it doesn't matter what they say, you're, you're, you're going to take it with a grain of salt. Other people verify it and you can find out it's true another way, that's fine. But you're not taking them at his word. You're not going to be that kind of person, church. God says, don't be that kind of person. Be the kind of person that speaks truth. So what does it require of us? It requires us to be honest, kind to people. 
Not to lie for convenience. Not to lie just because it's easier that way or we can keep a friendship or we can make a better outcome. It doesn't matter what you think the outcome will be. The, the story uh, is told of a man who goes to a rabbi. I've slandered a man and I, I, I've, I've said all kinds of lies about him and I know I sinned. And the rabbi says, I'll tell you what, meet me tomorrow morning on top this mountain and bring a pillow. Brings the pillow up. Next morning, he's there. Rabbi's there. He says, all right, now I want you to cut open your pillow and shake all the feathers out. He does it, shakes all the feathers out. Of course, he's on top of a mountain. There's a breeze. His feathers go all over the place. He realizes, Rabbi says, go get all the feathers and put them back in your pillowcase. He realizes that's, what my lie has done. It's spread around. Sin doesn't just affect you. It always affects someone else. And when you tell lies, it doesn't just affect someone else. It affects someone else forever. Part of the problem with us being people, though, is that we're not honest. Listen to Jeremiah. Oh, that my head were waters. In my eyes, a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place that I might leave my people and go away for them. For they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land for they proceed from evil to evil and they do not know me, declares the Lord. This is God talking. God saying, I wish my head were just water so that I could cry day and night over my people. I wish I had some place that I could get completely away from them because of the sin. This isn't the prophet. This is God himself talking. He continues, let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother for every brother is a deceiver and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies they weary themselves committing iniquity, excuse me, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. They, they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will refine them and test them for what else can I do because of my people? There's nothing else I can do but clean them up because they're so filthy. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With his mouth, each speaks peace to his neighbor. But in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. Shall I not punish them for these things? Declares the Lord. And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? I gotta be honest with you. I'm afraid that's a little bit too timely. That's who we are. And I don't mean them. I didn't say them. I said we. Patrick Henry, speaking to the Second Continental Congress, said, gentlemen may cry, peace, 
peace, but there is no peace. The war has already begun. We want to pretend that things are okay. We want to pretend like everything's going fine. People ask us, how is everything? And we say, fine. Oh, it's good. How, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Family doing well? Yeah, yeah, family's doing great. And in reality, either we're broken and we're lying through our teeth, or we have no clue what the truth is anymore because we've been lying so long that we actually think it is fine. In the Psalms, it says that God, well, hang on just a second. There it is. Behold, Psalm 51, 6, you delight in truth in the inward being. Not only is this a commandment not to say something bad against your neighbor, it's also a commandment to be honest with your closest neighbor person you see in the mirror every day. Because how many times will we lie to ourselves? Sometimes those lies are good things. Sometimes those lies are bad things. Sometimes we talk ourselves down as though we're worthless. And we repeat the lies over and over again that we're not worthy, that we don't deserve it, that that God doesn't love us. Because how could he love someone who screws up as much as we do? And other times, we do the exact opposite. We get so big-headed that we just about float off the ground. Like a hot air balloon. Look how great I am. Is this not Babylon that I have built? We say with Nebuchadnezzar. Look at, look at all the stuff I've accomplished. Look at everything that I've done. No, what God wants us to be is honest. And if we're honest, we'll find that we're not as good as we sometimes think we are, but we'll also find that we're not as unlovable to God as we sometimes think we are. See, it works both ways. God delights in truth in the inward being. You know why? Because what's in the heart is what defines the man. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we are honest, then we will be honest. So God is truth. He speaks truth. He loves truth. And he calls us to be honest too. Now we can't be truth like God is. That's that's a God thing. But we can look more and more like him, can't we? We can resist the temptation to bear false witness because it's convenient or because we don't like them or because of whatever reason we might come up with. And we can speak the truth in love. In fact, I think... Paul says something about that in Ephesians, doesn't he? He talks about all kinds of, of, of uh, gifts that God has given the church. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there. Let's, let's use our Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4. He's talking about the fact that he's given in the church all these things. He's, he's given in the church all of these different gifts and all of them, he has is, he is put them together for God to use for his purpose. And he's given uh, apostles and prophets and uh, evangelists and shepherd teachers. And he says that he's given all these things to equip the saints for every good work to build up the body. Then he says this, so that 
This is verse 14 of Ephesians 4. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You ever know someone that believes anything you tell them? He says, you don't, don't be like that. Rather, speaking the truth in love. You know, it takes a lot of love to speak the truth sometimes. Sometimes we speak truth without love. And boy, that's a mess. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. He goes on to say a few verses later, therefore, putting away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. God has brought us together, not just to be together, but to build each other up into the bride of Christ. God is working within us, you and me both. He's working within all of us to build us up into the house of God. And he wants it, in fact, he wants it to be such a place that he says in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church of the living God is a pillar and buttress of the truth. I love certain things, just kind of random things that don't seem to go together. One of the things that I like is Gothic architecture. I don't know what it is, but it's just beautiful to me. And you can see along the outside of, of various Gothic structures, depending on the, the, the time, the year that it was built, some of the really, really old ones are very dark because they have almost no windows. The, 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 the only way they knew how to build was to make the walls thick so it would stand. And they have stood the test of time. But, but windows bring in weakness because that's... That's part of a wall that isn't a strong wall, you know? And so the Gothic folks, the, the architects, uh, builders in those, in the middle, middle ages, 12, 13, 1400s, were trying to figure out how do, we, how do we bring in more light? We want to bring in more light. And so as they're trying to build this stuff, they say, well, we need a way to support a wall that isn't as strong as the old walls, but will allow us to have more windows. And they figured out the flying buttress. The flying buttress. And oftentimes they, they would, in that age, would stand on the outside and would reach across and provide extra stability for the wall so the wall could be almost completely glass at that point. Stained glass. Beautiful glass. Some of the greatest art in church windows and there around the outsides were flying buttresses, even today, hundreds of years later, holding up those walls firmly. God wants us as a church to be the flying buttresses of this world, holding up the truth so that all can gaze upon the beauty of God and be amazed at the artisticness of God's creation, at the glory of his splendor, at the majesty of his holiness. So if nobody's called you a buttress today, let me be the first. We are buttresses for Christ. That's who God wants us to be. 
not bearing false witness, but standing for the truth. Now, let me make one more point before I close. God doesn't have to have you stand for the truth in order for the truth to prevail. Some people have said that the the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. How many of you you, uh, uh, have seen a classified ad for a lion protector? You don't have to defend a lion. Just let it loose. Get out of the way. It'll defend itself. Truth is the same way. If you just let truth speak, if you just let God speak truth through you, he'll do everything he wants to do. My word will not return to me void, he promises, Isaiah, but will accomplish every purpose for which I have sent it. God is truth. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And when we speak the truth, we represent him well. Maybe this morning you find that you've been lying, maybe to yourself, pretending that it's okay when it's not. Maybe you've been lying to others, pretending to be something you're not. Maybe you have been slandering someone or even accusing them falsely. God offers repentance. Now that doesn't mean you just get out of the punishment. You still got to make it right. You still got to quit telling lies and tell the truth. But his forgiveness is available to all who seek it. In fact, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 comes to mind. If we lie and say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants to forgive you today. If you will just come. The altar is going to be open. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. This is the time. If God is convicting you of sin, maybe he's revealing to you that you are dead in your trespasses and sins and that you need a savior. You need someone who can bring you to life, that you can't do it on your own, that he has to do it. Then then you, you, you come and I'll be glad to help you with that. Maybe you've, Ask Christ to be your Lord and, well, we all need help sometimes and you just need help following him. This is the time, right now. This is the time to follow God, to be honest with God. Would you do it while we sing this song?